0: Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and the Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist.
1: And I'm Peter Kondjayan, The Grower.
0: Each week we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. This week on The Grower and the Economist, we're going to dig into some of the deeper economic terms and try to shed some light on how your operation runs. We're going to talk about costs and cost accounting in the next couple of weeks, looking at both fixed costs today and variable costs in the future. Peter, any thoughts from your perspective before I get too technical for everybody? Well,
1: Michelle, this topic now of cost accounting is so important for a farmer and a greenhouse operator. Uh, And and having presented this topic at conferences and written about it, it's not the most exciting from the grower's perspective, but we want to be able to present it in a way that makes sense and is uh, logical so that uh, we can help teach them how to cost out a crop because you and I have talked for many episodes, several episodes about um, profitability. And uh, in order to set prices and and do the marketing, we need to understand exactly what it's costing to grow the crop.
0: Absolutely. Um, and hopefully you guys find this a bit more interesting than my economic students. But um, what I like about this is that it talking about it in a business sense, I think that it will give you a real way to look at your business. Um, And, and it's just a lot more tangible when you have these fixed and variable costs yourself. So to jump in, a fixed cost is something that you have to pay for, whether you are using it or not. So that might be if you own a greenhouse, if you either own or lease your land, Those are payments you have to make every month, whether anything is growing in your greenhouse or not. Um, And then a variable costs are the costs of running it day to day. So if you are using the greenhouse and you are using extra electricity, that electricity is variable. It's dependent on how many hours you're using it. Uh, If you're purchasing seeds and planting them, right, you pay for the amount of seeds you use. If you don't need any seeds, you don't have to pay for them. But you do have to pay for your space and your insurance and your taxes. And if you have long-term employees that are salaried, these are all costs that whether you're growing a plant or not, you have to pay for.
1: Michelle, I find that it's a little easier for fellow growers to grasp the variable cost side of this equation, it's a little more complicated to handle the fixed costs. And okay for us to say synonymous to fixed is overhead?
0: Yes, I think that works. I think that makes sense, um, and it's interesting that variable cost is more is easier to understand. Have you come across comments in your speeches that you know help characterize that or why it's easier? Well, let me flip that around. I think Michelle, the
1: challenge to understanding the fixed slash overhead cost is that in agriculture, so many operations are seasonal. That uh, whether it's the farm with the fixed costs of tractors and buildings, or it's the greenhouse with the fixed cost of you know the greenhouse and and uh, everything that goes with it, um, there's if we're not using it twelve months of the year, some growers, are confused a bit as to how how the fixed costs need to be spread and allocated. So that's where I look to you as as an economist, your expertise, and I'm sure I'm going to learn more today than than uh, than I I knew before the conversation. So uh, yeah, help us as as we um, navigate through the fixed costs. Um, let me let me toss out that on the greenhouse side of things, growers. Uh, we we like them to think about their fixed costs in terms of um, cost per square foot per week, so that they can more easily uh, cost out what a a three week petunia crop might incur for fixed costs versus a two month geranium cost uh, crop that might have a uh, a longer period of time experiencing those fixed costs. So through the course of the conversation. Um, I'll keep coming back to a couple of points uh, that will help guide you through the greenhouse side of it. And I also have a question that that you can keep in mind uh, when we're talking about farms and fields and outdoor agriculture, um, how this seasonality or how multiple cropping can affect how we uh, analyze the fixed crops. So please go ahead. I am the student. You are the professor today.
0: Well, I think what's interesting is that in general, agriculture is considered a very high fixed cost business, right? You have to have your land, you have to have your greenhouse, you have to have the equipment. And those are generally things that you've paid for um, and own, right? For a lot of people, they own. But when I was digging into this for a different project earlier this year and trying to understand you know, ownership and, and debt and, and those pieces, I learned that there's actually a lot of variation in fixed costs and how high of a in how high fixed costs can be within an operation. So if you own your greenhouse and you have to make that mortgage payment or the land and you have to make those payments each month, right? That would be a fixed cost. You have to pay the mortgage. If you've paid off the mortgage, then you have to pay the the taxes. Um, But, and the same thing is true for the equipment. If you have a lot of equipment and you own it, you, you know, those are costs that you're going to incur. What's interesting is that on the field side, and I have to assume that this is probably true on the greenhouse side as well, is that not everybody owns their land or owns their equipment. There are a lot of opportunities To lease equipment and lease land or rent land. And so the difference is at the end of the season, if you own everything and you did not, and you were not profitable and you could not cover all your costs, then you're in a very different place, right? You have to figure out how to make enough money to cover those fixed costs. But if you lease all of those things and you have a terrible year or you just decide I'm not very good at doing this and I can't be profitable, you give back the equipment, you don't renew the lease and you walk away. And so I don't know if that helps frame it differently, but you're not stuck. There's a lot of people in agriculture that are not as stuck as a traditional economist would think, that there are a lot of variations. And I think that as you look at new equipment or new capital investments, that it's important to think about whether owning and having another fixed cost is critical, or if it's something that you should look at for a year and see how the season turns out before you make that long-term investment.
1: I like that option, Michelle. Um, but let me let me push back a little bit if if we're talking about small farmers and small greenhouse operations, um most of our small farmers probably have their house or home and live on the few acres of land that they're farming. and I think. The, the leasing thing could make sense to them as they grow and expand uh, if they outgrow the acreage that they may have originally thought would have been enough or plenty for them. So I, I like how you're bringing this, this different layer into it um, for us to consider. And uh, let, let me go back to a conversation we had many episodes ago where we talked about the owner, the farmer, or the greenhouse operator paying him, himself or herself a salary, you mentioned a few minutes ago how overhead includes or fixed costs includes certain employees' salaries. Um, that, I find, is also a very sticky or very um, muddy part of this whole thing because we've established that many growers don't take a um, Regular salary from their business, they almost pay themselves at the end after all the other bills have been paid. So, I think as 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 we dig into it and the conversation unfolds, um, I can keep bringing in a few points like like these first couple that I've brought up that help un- help us understand why it's so confusing to them and and why we need people like you, economists helping to educate us as to what is a fixed cost, what isn't, and, and how to handle them. So go go ahead. First seat, please.
0: Well, so back to your example of the person that starts on their own land and then grows, right? Land is generally an, very inexpensive a very expensive cost to to purchase more of. Um, And the truth is that most farmers, um, field farmers, both vegetable and row crops, tend to both own and lease land. Uh, So most people do both. So if you did start with two acres in your backyard um, or attached to your house and you're doing well and you want to expand, there might be an option to buy or it might be that someone, you know, down the road is renting their land. And so you can rent a little bit more space until you've grown into it and then maybe use the profits of that land to purchase more. Um, So most farms do have a mixture of own and rented land. And I think that that fits in very nicely with the explanation that you gave. As you start to scale, there are different challenges. There are different opportunities But giving yourself the flexibility to either one, grow when there's something to rent available, right? Expand your business when there's rental options available because the purchasing options might not be there all the time. Or two, test it out and see, do you have the equipment? Do you have the labor? Can you make the extra space profitable? And then to the point about labor and paying yourself, I think that that's a great point. I will also continue to beat uh, the drum on you have to pay yourself. And when I talk about sustainability, I am thinking of sustainability in the environmental sense, like a lot of people are, but also in the economic sense. Do you run a farm that you can continue to run? If you're not paying yourself, if you're not paying yourself enough, are you getting either enough off-farm income to make up for it? Do you enjoy it enough that it's a hobby? Um, Or are you running yourself ragged and this is not a sustainable business model for you? Um, So I think that it's really important to count your, your own cost into that because it's relevant into how long and how this business will work. But also there's another thing, your costs, if you're a long-term employee are going to be, should be a fixed cost. You are going to take a certain salary each year, and then maybe you take a percentage of the profits on top as the owner. But you could always add that variable cost of hiring day labor or seasonal labor to get some of those tasks done that help your farm be more profitable. And so investing in labor, whether it's short-term or another salaried employee, are ways that you can help grow your business. It adds costs, but it might make it more sustainable in the long term.
1: And Michelle, I found that uh, given that The Gate, our podcast, we gear it towards small and medium-sized operations, My experience is that the larger farms, larger greenhouse operations, they've got this all nailed down pat. Some of them have full time accountants on staff so that, you know, part of their their fixed cost is having an accountant do all of this uh, for them. So I think what I've done over my career is look to friends of mine who have large operations and just try to absorb, um, soak in some of what they share so that I, as a small grower, can keep getting a little better and and better at at doing the the cost accounting and one one other introductory comment way back early in our episodes michelle we we came across some small growers in western Massachusetts that were um, kind of combining making their own co-op in terms of putting produce together in boxes during the early Weeks and months of of the pandemic, and then um, having consumers come come to them to pick up their weekly or or every two week uh, box of, of vegetables, we heard them say, if I remember correctly, and and you comf, uh, confirm or or um, tell me tell me if I heard it right, I thought I heard some of these young farmers say that they share some equipment like tractors. My question to you is. Would some of these small gatherings of growers also share land?
0: So that's interesting. I, I guess you could. Yeah, I guess you could. It, it seems like it just might be. I don't know if it's harder. Um, right. Because you have to be more aligned maybe on right. If you're going to have a rotation. Uh, do you agree on the rotation or, you know what I mean? Like, do you, do you just farm your one quarter of it and you rotate in, within your one quarter or do people rotate along it? Um, are you, you know, adopting organic practices and does the whole land going to be certified or just your portion? Um, so I think that there's a lot more management questions that make it harder to share land Obviously I think there are still challenges with sharing equipment in that they um in that you know there are certain days you want to harvest or plant and everybody wants access to the same equipment and so you have to manage that but I was talking to an equipment dealer last week and he was actually I thought that you know these equipment type co-ops or sharing would be less than ideal because it would be fewer people buying equipment but he was explaining that actually the biggest farms buy new equipment and run it for a couple of years. And so they're new with relatively few hours on them or they're used with very relatively few hours before they upgrade to the next model. And so if so, there is actually a really good resale market for rel- you know, equipment that's a couple of years old that doesn't have a lot of use. Um, and that you can probably get at a good price. And so that is a good opportunity for these co ops or these groups of farmers to get together and share that equipment because you're going to use it more, but you get, you know, access to that good equipment at a cheaper price um, and, and can hopefully deploy it on your operations. So it's kind of interesting that. I do think that we'll see more of that. And I like that that space is growing. Um, And I think that it gives you a lot of different creative ways um, to, to sort of grow your business, right? If you do have, I don't know, I'm going to need, sorry, Peter, I'm going to need some help on what equipment might look like. But if you did purchase the equipment and you do have a child or a nephew or, you know, somebody on your farm that, you know, runs this equipment, when you're not using it, you might be able to hire that person out to... um to, to work on other people's farms with your equipment. And so that's another revenue stream that might offset some of the costs as well.
1: Sure, that's a really good point. And, and a, a nice analogy to what you were just describing, Michelle, in terms of equipment at the large um, operation uh, size. I've had uh, several large greenhouse operators tell me that for their... Growers, the position of head grower or section grower, they look to fresh out of college undergraduate degrees to come in because they believe, the owners believe, they've recently learned and been taught the latest techniques, the latest technology. And they bring them in also at at lower salaries because they don't have a lot of experience and treat them much as you just described some of the equipment they figure that they'll have them for a few years and then these these section growers will want to become head growers they may go out to be head growers at smaller operations some of them may decide that they want to be their own grower as as a, a you know their own owner of of an operation so it makes sense that the large growers and and so this is all already two or three times that you and I are talking about the large operations having, um, more knowledge or experience or expertise in these different layers of production, whether it's cost accounting, new equipment, new growers, and then that cascades and, and, uh, cascades down to the smaller and medium sized operations. So it's really cool. And, and it's, um, even on the business side, when we're in the office and not in the field or greenhouse and talking about costs, there there are s- some similarities in what you're saying and how I see uh, farms and greenhouses operating.
0: Well, and to take the analogy out of the field completely, or I guess maybe into another field, um, there, so the book Moneyball, right, is a baseball book and it's a movie and the, I believe it's the Oakland A's use a lot of statistics to figure out where they get their most value. Um, so if they, ha- if they pay for a pitcher that went to university versus is 18 and straight out of college, like, or sorry, straight out of high school, how do they statistically play over their career? Do you want to, where do you want to invest that money? Where do you want to spend that time training? And then they were able to really focus on the places where they maximized their return on investment to help them succeed because they had a fixed budget. And so then the other side of that was always someone like the Yankees who have a larger budget and they can buy the best players off of other farm teams. Um, So the, you know, baseball teams that follow the Oakland A's tend to have younger players. While they still have a salary cap, and then those players graduate and go to a bigger um, team. And so I think that that's true here as we talk about some of these cost accounting, what are you really good at, and where can you maximize? Um, so back to your cost per foot per square foot per week, right? Which crops are you getting the highest um, revenue per square foot, or profit per square foot? you know if you do you need more labor and so you can hire someone new that's excited or do you really need someone that knows their work and you're not constantly training and so i think you know maybe the bigger firms have either more money to throw at the problem or more people to analyze these statistics. But I think looking into your revenue, your profitability by plant, by square foot, um, by employee, all of those by, you know, sales option, whether it's direct sale, wholesale, all of those give you valuable insight. And if you focus on those, you can grow your business in a way that increases your profitability.
1: That all sounds terrific. Now I'm gonna get down into the weeds a little bit more, Michelle. And, and again, I'm going to stick with the greenhouse side of things because um, most most small farmers have a greenhouse or two to start their own crops. Uh, some of them have um, more more square footage if they're ev- even producing crops, both in the field and in the greenhouse. So for greenhouse fixed costs, it, it gets muddy again, because um, we sometimes have trouble um, trying to decide how to handle aisle space in the greenhouse that's so we have bench space where we're growing square feet of plants and then we have aisle space or wasted space where we're not producing plants but the square footage in the aisle is still incurring the fixed costs of heating and cost of the greenhouse, et cetera. So we, we've we got that that becomes a little gray. And then also for ornamental crops in the greenhouse, Michelle, we most often have a, a deck of hanging baskets up above the bench, or if we're growing the crop on the floor, above the, the crop on the floor. So we're double cropping of sorts. And we as a, in an in- industry of greenhouse growers have, have also had trouble Assigning fixed costs to the hanging baskets. Uh, I've got some, a, a group of growers who simply say, okay, we've got wasted aisle space in between benches. We have hanging baskets up above the benches. So I'm going to almost wash those two and say that the hanging baskets cancel out the wasted aisle space, if you understand where I'm going with this, just to keep their fixed cost um, easier for them to, to handle um, and, and, and calculate. And I know I'm coming too cold with some of these comments, but knowing, knowing you and, and your economics expertise, um, I'm not worried that, that uh, you won't be able to comment or, or handle these weird questions.
0: Well, my thought is that the most important thing is to be consistent. So if you are the grower that decided that the added space in the hanging baskets is roughly the same as the lost space between the aisles, and you've made the decision to count that as a wash, that you should keep doing it. Um, And then if you do ultimately make a change, then it might make sense to go back a couple years Readjust your number for that change, so you continue to ca- compare apples to apples, because I would hate to see you sort of adjust it each season or by crop and and not really be able to compare anything so my first point is be consistent and whenever you decide, because that will give you the most valuable insight.
1: thank you so so michelle on 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 that, the consistency part, some growers have trouble. In a greenhouse, um, if if we're spreading heating costs over the entire year, they have a little trouble. Um, if they're growing a crop of pansies in the summer, where there's obviously no heat being used, um, their, their their question is why do I have to assign that same fixed cost? Um, are, so so some growers will look at. Heating the greenhouse range for the entire year is fixed cost. Are you going to say to me that perhaps we treat that heating as a variable cost depending on the crop being grown?
0: Well, I would look at it two ways. One, if you had to purchase a generator, then I would count that as a fixed cost because whether you're using it or not, you still have to have it. But I think that I would look at the variable cost of the amount of heat you're using at any given time. Um, So, you could average it over the course of the year, but if you're trying to figure out how much it costs you to grow those pansies versus poinsettias, in the poinsettias, you're going to need more heat because it's a cooler season. And in the pansies, you're not. So, I don't think that the cost of the fuel or the electricity to heat should be a fixed cost. It should be a variable cost for each plant depending on the season, but if you did need a generator or something like that, you would have to have that all year, whether you needed the heat or not.
1: Okay, that's good. Now let me let me go back and and you you, you segued perfectly into this. An episode or two ago, we had Brian Krugon as a guest. We were talking about how to properly trial uh, on site on the farm in the greenhouse, and one of the things that you heard Brian and and me discussing is uh, lighting in the greenhouse, supplemental lighting. Um, So I think you just answered my question. In terms of how we handle supplemental lighting in the greenhouse, I think you're saying to me that the fixture itself, installing it, that's fixed cost. And operating the, the lights, depending on the season of the year and the crop and how much light the crop needs, that becomes a variable cost, is that correct? Exactly. Okay, now another um, question I have, many episodes ago, do you remember when we were talking about crop scheduling and I I, I threw, threw out one of my rules of crop scheduling that if we want a crop to mature one week earlier or later in May, we have to adjust the sowing by two weeks earlier or later, back in February and March. Do you remember when we talked about that?
0: I do. It's a practice that I have written down for next year for myself.
1: <laughs> um, so now, based on what you're, you're, you're sharing with us about how we look at the heating cost, and depending, again, your your word consistent, I think, is the answer here. So so I want to emphasize that, that I, I am with you. It's, it's decide what you want to do and then be consistent. Because you could see where, um, depending on how the grower is handling and assigning the heat for the fixed cost, if we adjust the sowing schedule because we need one week earlier in May and means we're going to fire up the greenhouse two weeks earlier in February, Well, that's more expensive to heat those two weeks in February, than it is if we delayed the sowing by two weeks. You follow what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. And so I do think that that extra cost of heating should be counted against the profitability of having the extra crop or the extra two weeks.
1: So so I think what, what listeners are hearing is... Okay, some some hear this, Michelle, and eyes roll and, and eyes glaze over, and, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, that's just too complicated for me to even handle. But what we keep saying in this conversation is, okay, just pick what's comfortable, and it's more important that you be consistent and treat it the same from from crop to crop. I have a colleague at um uh Clemson, Michelle, that that goes through cost accounting. And he talks about different um, stages of of understanding. And he uses different types of ice cream to to illustrate what he's talking about. And at first he says, just try to handle, get your arms around the big chunky costs. And and he he puts that in, in the category of a Rocky Road ice cream. And then once you you become consistent and comfortable with those big chunks of your costs, the obvious ones, then drill down a little deeper and get to more of a smooth vanilla flavor where you're handling and smoothening out, you're, you're, you're getting the minor uh, costs, and then eventually you get to a sorbet is his ultimate where you've got everything nailed down.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, because I think just like everything we've talked about, right. If you're going to have super detailed notes, you're not going to get it on the first try and it's going to be too overwhelming and you're going to make mistakes. So I agree that, you know, getting your overarching budget, your overarching costs, you know, some of those things written down, then the next season you can start to, you know, look at it in a much more granular way.
1: That sounds good. So, so, Gee, a half hour into a conversation like this, uh, what? Where do you want to go next? Um, how how do we kind of wrap up a conversation about fixed costs? I'm going to let you guide this on.
0: Um, I mean, I think that it's important to think about your fixed cost and in whether it makes sense. Both your fixed and your variable costs, and whether it makes sense to explore another business option. And so, you've talked a lot about people wanting to extend their seasons, right? And the and the advantages of extending your seasons. But I think now we have we've given the framework for a cost benefit analysis to see whether that makes sense. So you might want to grow more. In the early, late winter, early spring, or late fall, early winter, because you have this greenhouse and you're paying for it anyway, and it makes sense to keep using it. But the costs of running it during those extra months are a lot more expensive. And so when you add crops, you're gonna to wanna to make sure that you are adding to your bottom line, right? You're covering all of your fixed costs in order when you're growing these extra things so that you're not putting yourself farther behind. Because the electricity and the lighting and all of that, the difference between July and November is huge. And so I hope that this, my goal is to sort of give that context. It gives you a way to think about when you should be growing and hopefully a metric to calculate the profitability between crafts
1: Michelle an, another layer of this, and you've you've explained some advantages, pros and cons of buying owning versus leasing um, and perhaps for another episode, the concept of a payback period and and using um some benchmark payback periods to help a grower decide whether he or she should purchase and own or uh, rent or lease.
0: Well, so I think that there's a couple of feet. I mean there's I, there's a few things that you should think about whether when you're looking at buying versus leasing. And one is flexibility, right? And so it's true when you're looking at housing, right? If you are not sure where you're going to live, if you're not sure this is the right crop for you, if you're not, if you want that flexibility to make decisions in the future and adjust, then renting really is a good option because it's a lot cheaper to get out of. So if you're thinking, look, I've really got my two acres down, I kind of want to add more space. I'm not sure what that means for me, then, yeah, I think that renting and getting used to it is a really good option. Um, you know, if you have a lot of debt, then you might be harder to get a loan and it might be more expensive to actually be able to purchase. So I think that those are two just on the... on. One, where you are mentally and where you are in your business. Is this something you're ready to commit to for a long time? There's going to be a lot of upfront costs and there's going to be a lot of costs to get out of it. Two, do you have the capital and resources available to purchase? And are you willing to tie up that money? Right? I think that there might be a concern right now on with a pandemic, you don't really know what's going to happen next week. And are you better off keeping More cash on hand versus having more cash invested in assets. Um, and then the third piece that I would think about is the tax advantages and there are tax advantages to owning. There is the appreciation of the land value when you own. Um, and so how does that fit into your overall, uh, strategy, right? Does, does it, um, you know does owning and does taking those tax advantages help you or is it not enough and there are other places that you you know can use that money more effectively so i like to really consider the cost and benefit of each decision whether it be renting or buying and then also taking a second to think about what am i giving up by not doing that other option
1: and i think the the final point that that I wanna bring up and get your, your expertise, your UDIP to uh, kind of um, uh, respond, Michelle. Many, many fellow growers of mine, um, when we're considering the ornamental side of, of a greenhouse operation, uh, many of them have said to me that they merely grow poinsettias in the fall to number one, keep, keep their help on as permanent and not seasonal, and number two, to contribute to their annual fixed cost. Uh, not that they're making a profit with the poinsettia crop, but they're they're almost um, um, can't afford to grow it because it's not profitable and they can't afford not to grow it because of the reasons that I just mentioned. Could you comment on that?
0: Sure. Um, so I would say that on this, the, the labor, that's a really interesting point. Um, and one that is really valid, right? If you need good labor in the summer and that adds an advantage to you, if having the right labor brings your cost down by 10%, that is savings you're going to get. In order to get that, you might have to pay them for the extra months. So, that in my mind is a very valid reason, right? You want to have you get such an advantage over the summer by having access to this good labor. And in order to keep it, you have to offer this benefit, which is closer to year round work. Um, And so that would be one that I would distribute the cost and the benefit across the system, right? You would be dividing the cost of that labor across 12 months, which looks a lot better in the summer than it does in the winter. But also, you know, if you need to justify that, you would look at the summer months, look at your profitability by having that high-skilled labor, and look at the next best option, which might have in low-skilled labor. And how much revenue are you losing in the summer by having that low-skilled labor? And how much are you saving in the fall or the winter by not having to pay them? And so that would give you a more apples-to-apples apples comparison. And then for the fixed costs, I I think that if you need the cash coming in, that's an interesting point, but that's the point where we would really start to think about our variable costs. So yes, you want the cash coming in to make the payment, but by growing the point setters, are you covering your fixed and your variable cost? So, right, you... You need the money coming in to make the payment, but is your money going out even larger because the the, the sales is not covering the seeds and the other things? And again, if it's so that labor issue where you're getting such an economic advantage in the summer, then it's worth calculating into the you know cost in the fall. So are you saying that,
1: again, on this poinsettia example, that yes, if you decide to grow it, if you sell it for a loss, then growing it in order to pay down fixed costs was a poor decision. If you break even, then you're able to contribute to the fixed cost. Um, is that what
0: I'm hearing? Yeah. So if you can break even, then you should absolutely do it. Um right if you could make one penny it's worth doing if you would lose one penny it's probably not worth doing in a strictly economic sense um but the point that i is missed in the theory is that there are benefits to growing it even if it's at a loss and so that higher output that higher profitability in the summer by having access to the better labor would more than offset the costs um, in the fall. So just, I guess, to summarize, yes, the goal would be that you always want to break even. If you can break even, you should do it. If you can't break even, then you would want to, in a purely economic sense, skip the that is and and like hibernate right you would temporarily shut down for a few months until the conditions approve improve in the spring when you could be profitable however that this is the real life and not an economic textbook and so there are advantages of of growing in the fall that are contingent that, that impact your summer operations which is not something we cover in a textbook
1: all right, so this, this has been a, a very informative conversation for me. I've picked up a few things that I, um, at the outset, um, thought that I'd be able to, to learn from you. So thank you for that. I'm seeing an analogy, Michelle, where during our conversation about properly trialing and conducting experiments in the greenhouse and on the farm, we talked about control, control, control. And today, I heard from you consistent, consistent, consistent. So maybe there's something we have to build on with the number of Cs, control, consistency, et cetera. I might see if there's another one I could think of. But that's that's a thread that helps us tie these complicated uh, challenges in the farm and, and on the, in the greenhouse and on the farm. to to help growers better manage the operation. So I think um, we merely started the conversation on the fixed cost side of cost accounting. And I think in the future, perhaps we could go through a couple of examples if if we choose, or we might uh, get a grower on board as a guest to to talk a little more deeply about the topics, But I appreciate you being able to bring your expertise to the table on this topic and look forward to hearing your thoughts and advice on variable costs in in our uh, next episode.